Hi, and welcome to The Farm. Today, I'm talking with Carolyn from Homesteading Family, and we're going to be covering Homesteading 101, what you need to know when moving to the farm and moving to the homestead for the first time. Welcome, Carolyn. Hi, welcome. It's so great to get to be here with you. (laughs) Thank you very much for coming on today. Please tell me a little bit about yourself, your family, and your homestead. Okay, well, I'm coming to you from the very far north on the west side of the United States. So we are almost in Canada. In fact, our closest town to us is actually in Canada, not in the United States. So aside from the international border, you know, (laughs) it would be closer to go up there. Um, And right now we're on 40 acres um, way out in the middle of the mountains. We've got a river right on the front of the property. It is amazing. But I got to tell you guys, we did not start there. Um, when I say we, it's my husband, Josh, and I, and we have 11 children. So we have a large family. The oldest is 18, is engaged and getting married in January. And the baby is eight months old right now. So we kind of have them stair-stepped all the way through all of those ages. And uh, there are no twins. One is adopted. He's actually our nephew that we adopted. But aside from that, they're all our single birth (laughs) babies. So we have a lot of us, which um, has really driven our journey. Back when we started... um, you know, we it wasn't even called homesteading back when we really started doing what's come to be known as homesteading now, uh, or at least we weren't aware of it being homesteading. We were just trying to feed our family. That was really all we were trying to do. Josh and I had both grown up around some livestock, he around some cattle, I was raised around horses, um, and we both had a little bit of gardening in our background. Josh's grandma gardened with him when he was a child. My mom always had a vegetable garden. Um, more just from the culinary side of wanting really good fresh food. So when we started having children, we knew right away how important health was to us and giving our children like robust health. Um, We had a few medical scares right at the very beginning with our very first baby, and it really woke us up to the need to be drivers in our own story instead of you know the passengers and letting other people make all the decisions for us health-wise and that that really woke us up to saying okay let let's take this seriously but at the time you know I was a stay-at-home mom and um, helping Josh who had a construction uh, custom home building business and so I was doing his bookkeeping and all to say we were broke. We didn't have any money at all. And so to think about feeding this family that was quickly growing really good quality food, I mean, we pretty much had two options, maybe three, you know, find a better, a different job, which was going to take us out of the countryside. We did not want to go back to the city. We'd already lived there and tried that. It was not going to work for us. Um, And so that wasn't really on the plate. 
eat junk food that was really cheap was the other option. We knew that we weren't okay with that. And so really the only thing that made sense to us was growing our own food. And so that really set us off on this journey that took us from, we were in Southern California at the time. Um, so it took us from Southern California in the city, all the way through the mountains in Southern California, um, all the way up to this very rural location in Idaho on 40 acres. And it's been quite a journey along the way. And we've added children and added a lot of experience. Um, and, you know, for us, the thing that stands out is that um, as we were learning, we were so frustrated by the information that was available. It, you know, we're, we're talking 15, 20 years ago. <clears throat> and so right now we have a lot of good resources out there. Um, but back then, boy, they were just far and few between. And even today, most people who are teaching on the topic of homesteading are kind of doing the like, um, come along with me in my journey. There weren't the people who were, you know, the older women who had already done this and lived this and could like confidently say, hey, this is what I've done for 20 years and it's worked for me. And there was a level of frustration for me in that. And so once we started hitting a level where we're like, okay, we've now done this successfully for 10 years, we really wanted to start sharing that information and sharing with people. Um, what we did. So um, so that that brings us right into why we started Homesteading Family is to really have this voice to be able to help other people who are on this journey, who are moving to homesteads, who are starting for the first time and are like, oh my gosh, what do I do? Because it's such a big thing to learn. There's so much out there. Yeah, that absolutely is. And that sort of is around the questions that were structured for today. So let's jump into those, Carolyn. Great. Before we continue with today's episode, I'd love to give a shout out to today's supportive link, Monty Composting Co. The Monty Composting Co have designed a real-time monitor that helps with your composting. I've moved from a cool climate to a hot, dry climate, and my composting game went out the window. Trying to keep a self-sustaining farm and become more self-aware of the rubbish and things that we produce on farm, the Monty Composting Pro has allowed me to get back into the composting game, reducing waste removal from the farm, as well as creating homemade compost without any chemicals. Its real-time monitoring gives feedback every 15 minutes on monitoring temperature, gas and moisture which is then enables us to be able to do real-time composting as a personal coach. It gives an analysis and makes sure there is no smell and no pests. It is customizable depending on your composting method. It saves you time, money and resources. You'll connect your Monty Composting Probe with your smartphone using the app to get your temperatures, readings and suggestions on how to make your composting more efficient and effective. Use the Rural Mum discount code to get 20% off your Monty Composting Probe. Now back to today's episode. So we're talking fundamentals of homesteading and we're discussing a step-on-step process of how to set that up or how to make it more efficient. So let's jump straight in with how do you plan and set up a homestead to start with? So for those of us who have moved to the farm for the first time and we're trying to work out what we're doing and where we need things, how do we go on about that? You know, what I really like to say is... um, 
homesteading is really a state of mind. So we really need to put it there. Like you don't need to have moved to the farm. I know a lot of people have in, in this audience, you know, which is wonderful. But sometimes when you're thrown into a place where you actually have a farm at your fingertips, it can be even more overwhelming than say if you're in the city and you're in an apartment um, because you have so much available to you. So what I like to tell people is when you're starting, when you're very new, if you find yourself on land, um, pretend like you're not for the first season, <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> get get your household and your kitchen under control. This is like ground zero of your homestead is your kitchen. If you don't know how to cook from scratch, if you're not buying in bulk yet, if you don't have good organization system for keeping your household in order and getting your laundry done, then you're only going to be adding stress to your life by starting to go out into the yard and starting to garden and bring in animals and those things. Make sure those basics are under control first. Start making bread. Start, you know, going to the farmer's market or whatever's available to you um, and learning how to preserve food before you have your own that you're like, okay, I have two weeks to figure out how to preserve all these tomatoes, right? <laughs> like that, that's stressful. That is a level of stress that we just don't need to take on as new homesteaders. So get those skills first. Start in the kitchen, start in the house and make sure you build from there. Beyond there, once you have that worked out, you know, Adding chickens and some basic kitchen gardens is a great way to go. Yeah. Yeah. So we've, you know, we've got our jars, we've got our storage, we've got, you know, the equipment that we need. We've started playing around and familiarizing ourselves with those systems and we're on top of the everything else sort of going on in the farm. So then we're wanting to introduce the growing stage. So how what are the fundamentals what are the 101s for starting to grow our own veggies and fruit and gardening there you go that the real key for this is to start small and i say that not only to keep the overwhelm down which is a major part i've watched so many people burn out because of the overwhelm they dive in a little too deep but also you can learn so much and you can really get a feel for how little you need um, in order to actually support your family. Uh, you know, we had a garden one year. We moved into a new piece of land. We were absolutely broke. We couldn't bring in good soil. We couldn't do anything like that. And so we did a simple straw bale garden. Now, we didn't even do it the right way. Technically, a straw bale garden, like you're actually growing in the bales, the straw bales. We just threw up straw bales kind of like as a raised bed border and filled it with whatever soil we could get our hands on um, and then topped it with some compost. And uh, we ended up in this little, I think it was two straw bales on each side. So we're talking maybe five feet long, something like that, and maybe two feet wide, we grew over 80 pounds of greens that season in that we had so many greens, we were literally selling them just like out of desperation, like feeding them to the chickens, selling them to people for just a dollar a pet, like, please just come take these things, essentially. Um, and it, it was very eye-opening that as you gain skill, you can do a lot 
with a lot less space. And so I really encourage people start small and gain the skill of doing more in that small space because that is very much more manageable. The, the closer together you put things, the fewer weeds you have to contend with, the fewer hoses you have to drag all over the place if you have to water, you know, the fewer, fewer beds you're having to look at and intensively plant. Um, so I really do recommend starting in that place and then moving from there. Now, when you're gardening, I, I'm assuming you guys have drastic differences in climate also like we deal with up here. You know, you have a couple ends of the spectrum. You can go really intensive, like I'm talking about small and intensive, but it's important to know that that means you have intensive inputs. You need to really keep up with your soil. You probably need to add water. You need to irrigate when you're up and you're tight and intensive like that. Or you can do the opposite thing. If you're in a really dry climate, you can spread way, way out and you can plant very far apart in very large rows and reduce your inputs that way. Things don't need as much water. They don't need the high quality soil the same because they can go mine their own in all of that space. Um, and so, you know, you kind of have those two ends of the spectrum. But again, you have to be responsible for all that land that's in cultivation either way, right? Either way, yeah. you've got to deal with the weeds. Either way, you've got to, you know, maybe mulch or do all the different things you have to do. So that's, again, just bring it in a little tighter and then you can spread out as your skill grows. Yeah, where we are in Australia, we're quite um, dry and and very hot. So my rule of thumb is if I can't put like the sprinkler or the irrigation on one system at a time, like that's the size of my bed is one right. sprinkler and um, <laughs> one water system. And then that's it. That's my size. That's what I'm working with. <laughs> Absolutely. And that's so wise because it's, it just reduces frustration, right? And reduces stress. It, it seems so practical. And sometimes though, those are like, those are the things that make it golden and they make it work you know, <laughs> because it is practical. It's like, don't, don't overplant your sprinkler. That's all there is to it. Like <laughs> that makes it easy. Yeah. <laughs> if we've moved to our homestead or moved to our farm and we've started with the basics we've already talked about, if we do have a choice on where to put things and we're starting with a blank canvas, where should we put things out from the house? Where should things be, where should we be thinking about where we're going to place that veggie garden or where we're going to place the chicken coop or the pig pen? So um, have you been on the land for very long? Yeah. Yeah, you just have... over 10 years for me. Okay. All right. So you have a good, uh, a good uh, picture of what happens on your land, where the sun hits, where the water runoff is, all of those things. And that's that's really step number one on all of that is just to really observe what's going on on your land. I, I am the worst at this. Luckily, Josh is good at slowing me down a little bit. I'm like, I'm on a new piece of property and six months, I want the gardens, the barn, like I want it all done and I want it running now, <laughs> you know. And he's like, slow down. We have to watch. We have to observe. So it's always good to observe first so you know what's actually going on with your land. Um, and then you move into this idea that we have in permaculture with the zones. You're probably very familiar with that. But, you know, zone zero being your house where you're just living in all the time. 
zone one is right outside your door where you're just touching things. You're out there multiple times a day walking through it. Zone two, getting a little further out, maybe you're once a day and then so forth as you go out. Um, and so it's really important to, one, start designing your homestead with your long-term vision. So first, where do you want to go? What size garden do you eventually want? Are you looking to be able to support your family completely out, out of your garden? It is doable, but you need more space, obviously. So you want to make sure you're planning that in from day one so that you don't end up sticking something else where your eventual garden expansion is going to be. So it's really helpful if you can sit down and just even a basic sketch on your property. I mean, grab a Google map shot of your property and just use it to trace out some basics so you have some basic ideas. But, you know, you really want to look at those places that you're going multiple times a day. For me, I have a kitchen garden that I have. I have a cottage garden, a kitchen garden. They are literally outside of the kitchen door. When we moved in, the the area that we put these in was complete lawn and then a fence and then a steep slope down out the front of our garden. And we just said, nope, this won't do. I need a kitchen garden right outside my kitchen. And so we set about changing that whole area. So we terraced the slope. We put in steps down the slope. Sorry. And um, we put in a kitchen garden. We turned the lawn into a whole kitchen garden, which is my cottage garden where I do, um, you know, herbal medicines. I do different culinary herbs. And then I do uh, quick grab vegetables, something that I want for just, you know, throwing into dinner real fast, not my preserving vegetables. That goes in a whole different space. And so I, I have those right outside my door. And that's just so handy because I come and go from there all the time. I can enjoy the space, but I'm always seeing it. So I'm always saying, hey, look, I've got lettuce that's going to bolt if I don't make some more salads this week. You know, I'm, uh, you know, the tomato, the cherry tomatoes are ready to go. Let's go ahead and make sure we're throwing those into the salads. Or, you know, I've got some kale or something that's ready to eat so we can get those into the rotation for the diet. So that's really where we have our fresh eating. And that's one of those things I really encourage, if it's at all possible, get your kitchen garden, um, especially your basic like culinary herbs, things like that, right outside of your kitchen, right in areas you walk through all the time. It just makes it so much easier to use it. And what you see, you take care of. If you don't see it, it's so easy to let it just slip out of the side. So that really applies to that. For me, chickens moves out a little bit further and our what we call our main crop garden. We're really going to the chickens about once a day for their care, maybe twice a day, morning and evening is usually what happens in our house. So they're out a little bit more towards the barn and towards that kind of zone two area. And, um, and then we have our main crop garden we didn't have the space for the main crop garden right up against the house, but that's okay because we're really only going there once a day for some main, you know, care of the garden during garden season. And our harvest that comes out of there really comes in big, um, you know, big batches. So it's like, okay, we have our um, determinate paste tomatoes and we're ready to go harvest a whole couple bushels of them and bring them in to preserve them. Or, you know, every third day, 
in green bean season, we'll do a big picking of green beans, bring in several bushels and get those canned up or, or freeze dried or, or some of the different things we do to preserve them. So it's really important to think about saving your energy, saving your time by where you put each of these elements around your house. Now, of course we have things like our gardens need to be sunny, right? So that's kind of basics, like you can't forget about that. But usually, especially if you have a hot, dry climate, sun isn't your issue in most places. Usually it's like, okay, <laughs> so is there any shade? <laughs> um, and so, yeah, you know, just really think about your energy because those extra trips every day add up. I don't know about you, but sometimes I have a little pedometer on me to count my steps and make sure I'm getting and moving every day. The, the trips to the barn, which are not far away from the house, you know, but those trips to the barn, if I have to do that very many times in a day, it adds up to a mile of walking in a day. And that just, when I put that pedometer on and realized that, that blew my mind. That is a lot of energy, you know, so you want to make sure that those types of things that are a little further out, you're really only having to go there once a day, maybe twice a day, but you're not having to make trip after trip after trip up and back for something. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So that's great planning and great advice on where things need to be because you're absolutely right. If you don't see it, then you don't use it. <laughs> and then you think, oh, no, well, that's got to go to the compost. So that's got to go to the right. chickens now because it's it's run off and it's done its thing. <laughs> Beautiful. So when we're talking about chickens and we're talking about bringing livestock in, for a lot of my audience, we're on the farm. So we've got cattle and we've got sheep and things like that. But when we're bringing them into the homesteading journey with us, um, what are the things that we need to do? Do we bring them, uh, you know, a select couple closer to the house so that we can see when they the cow need, needs to be milked twice a day? So we bring them to the barn rather than out in the paddock. And the same for the, you know, the pigs and the sh and the chickens. So how do we bring those into the homesteading mindset? Yeah, we like to talk about systems and loops on our homestead and where we're always trying to close these loops so you know when we bring the livestock actually into the homestead we're really bringing them as part of our everyday life in a lot more of a way than just we toss them some feed every day right they all of a sudden you know we like to say when those tomatoes have gone bad that we're we're doing homestead alchemy and we're turning them into bacon because you know they're going right back out to the pig pen to feed the pigs um, or the chickens and we're just kind of starting to close that loop and make sure the nutrients stay always on the property, that we're never draining nutrients off the property. And so when that happens and when you start living with that livestock, they have to come in a lot closer to you than, say, the commercial operation where they're out in the field and they're out further out. So you do want them in. You also, you know, it's really important on a home scale level that your homestead um, animals are very touchable and they're very good to work with. We have beef cattle also, and they're out in the farm and they're, you know, they're off and they come when we call because they know we're going to lay out some hay or something like that, but you're not going to go scratch on them. You know, they, they're not very loving and you better be ready to round them up if you have to get them into a trailer, like you need the pins and everything. That's very different than our milk cow. 
she'll come right up to us and like, she thinks she's a, a lap dog, right? She'll yeah. follow you wherever you go. You can call her by name and she'll come. So you really want to make this change when you're thinking commercial animals, they're out on the range, they're doing their thing. They don't really need me. So all of a sudden we're bringing them in and we're bringing relationships into our homestead. And so we want these animals to be nurtured in a different way. We want them to be scratched. We want to take out goodies to them when we can and make sure that they're looking forward to us. We want to make sure they all come when we call. So we have a rule in our house, whenever we feed any animal, each type of animal has a call. For us, it's pig, 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 pig. You know, whenever food goes into their pen, we call that. That way, if we ever need those pigs to come, we know we can bring them in, even if they're out, you know, we, we do um, pasture our, our homestead animals around the property. So sometimes they're out of ways, but we want to bring them in. We want to be able to move them or work with them or different things. So we want to make sure that we're always calling them and they each have their own special call that they know, hey, that's me. You know, <laughs> the dinner bell's <laughs> ringing. I'm getting a goodie. I'm going to get a scratch. I'm going to get something that I like. And really start uh, forging that relationship with them. But yeah, you definitely, I think your direct question was, what do you do with them? You want to bring them in closer. You want to have contact with them. And you want to you want to put them in a place where you can form that relationship with them so that they're kind of bonded to you, you are to them, and they start becoming part of the whole cycle of your everyday life instead of just the thing that's out in the field. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for joining us for part one of Carolyn's interview. We talked all about homesteading today and now we're going to take a slightly different approach in Thursday's interview and referring it back to farm life and being on the farm. I hope you can join us here on the farm on Thursday to explore that. Again, thank you to this week's supportive link, Monty Composting Co. If you would like a 20% discount on your Monting Composting Pro to be able to improve your hemsteading, your self-sufficiency and your composting game, please use the Rural Mum at checkout for your 20% discount. And I hope to see you all again on Thursday. Mm -hmm.